Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Hi everybody, I'm Eric Arnault, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. Kind of. Uh, we're doing something a little different this week, and sharing time with another Nerdalogs show I co-produced, Blank Cassette which is a podcast about music mixes and the stories behind them. So it is a storytelling show too, but with a fuller soundtrack. I kind of describe it as a rock and roll radio lab or a soundtrack to Mortified. So Blank Cassette is now in its second season. You can find it on nerdalogs.com as well as Apple Podcasts. It's a show that I love working on. It really speaks to me and what I love to create. And this week seemed like a sweet opportunity to share it with maybe a new audience. Now, I picked this episode because you're all used to hearing cover songs every week, and now you can learn a little bit about the history of them. Uh, what you're about to hear is an episode from a couple weeks ago called Ray's Cover Me. The guest, Ray Paget, is a former blog editor of mine turned author, and he just published a really great book on 19 of the most important cover songs in history called, you guessed it, Cover Me. Now, about a month ago, I interviewed Ray about those songs and also about the process of going from blog writer to author and expert, really, in the field of cover music. Uh, it was a really good talk, and I learned a lot. If you're at all interested in Ray's book, I'll post a link to it in the show notes for this episode. It's seriously super interesting. I loved it. Uh, so before we get to Ray's story, though, I want to remind everyone that nominations are open for the Your Story's Best of 2017 podcast and live show. Uh, there's a form on our website where you can name your favorite pieces from the past very full year of the show, and choices from among those lists of favorites you name will be celebrated in both our Blowout Live Show and Year End Best of Podcast in December. Uh, I'll also post a link to that form in this episode's show notes, so head on over to nerdalogs.com and cast your vote now. All right, hope you all enjoy Blank Cassette. We've got about 50 episodes available if you dig it, but let's start with just one. My name is Ray Paget. The title of this mix is Cover Me. It's titled after my book of the same name, and it's 19 of the best, most iconic, and most interesting cover songs. You ain't nothing but a So let's dig into that. What makes these, I think the, the subtitle of the book says greatest, what makes these the greatest cover songs? Well, I think they're greatest in two senses. One is that they're all, you know, iconic and they're good. The other part of greatest is, you know, famous, important, iconic, influential. I tried to pick songs for the book that were not just, you know, personal favorites, though there are some in there as well, but that really, you know helped trace the trajectory of the cover song and in some ways reflected other trends in music history. Covers are a huge part of the history of music. In fact, a bigger part than original songs. I, I start the book with Elvis in the 50s, and the reason I basically picked that decade is that's when you start to see a shift 
where the singer-songwriter becomes a job description. It used to be two job descriptions, the singer and the songwriter. And as I talk about in the intro, before the 50s, almost everything was a cover. You know, no one asked, is Frank Sinatra writing his own songs? Or before that, no one is asked, did the conductor of this orchestra I'm seeing write this particular song that is a Mozart song or something? So, it, but in the 50s, you started to see a shift where, you know, when Bob Dylan and the Beatles come along in the 60s, they both start right with covers, but pretty quickly are writing their own songs. And at that point, the cover song as a category really emerges because it's different than what most people, particularly the books about popular music and rock and roll, um, particularly in the rock sphere, are doing where you're writing your own song. Well, you ain't never caught a rabbit. You ain't no friend of mine. So especially in the beginning, chronologically, so many of these songs kind of cross racial divides in pop music, which is something your book talks about. 
Uh, I'm going to ask you to be a little speculative. Do you think that comes from a spirit of kind of like the idea that music can bridge these gaps? Or is it like cultural appropriation is a little bit of both? Um, do, do you think maybe covers did work that no other music could do? I think it's both. It's both bridged some racial things and brought, you know, artists over to the mainstream. For instance, someone like Aretha Franklin doing Respect. That wasn't just a, a quote-unquote race hit, which was the term back then for, you know, basically black audiences. That was a huge hit among white audiences, and it also helped Otis Redding's career because he's the guy who wrote and originally recorded it. On the flip side, you have, you know, the first chapter is Elvis doing Hound Dog, which was a big Mama Thornton song originally and a, a, an African-American blues singer. But Elvis has this massive hit. He doesn't particularly go out of his way to credit Big Mama Thornton. She didn't write the song, so she doesn't make any money, and it's not clear that she actually benefits. A, a lot of the artists in the book who got covered, you know, go out of their way to say how grateful they were. Big Mama Thornton wasn't particularly grateful. She said, I didn't get anything out of this. He stole my song. I, and he, you know, has this massive hit that I, as a, a black woman, did not have, and I don't really see the benefit of it.
My fascination with covers, there actually is a, a sort of um, light bulb moment, and it was one day in college. Bob Dylan, people may remember, used to host a radio show on Sirius Radio for a year or two. And the idea of his show was that he would play a different song, so for a different theme for every show. And one day the theme was summer, so he's playing ten songs that are somehow about summer. And the first song he plays in this show is a version of the Gershwin song, Summertime, which is one of the most covered songs of all time. And I knew the song, and I'm sure I'd heard ten versions at that point, and they tended to be slow and languid and beautiful, like torch songs, even though the lyrics are kind of upbeat. But he plays this version by a uh, 60s soul singer named Billy Stewart, and it's fast, and he's scatting, and there's horns blaring, and it's this, you know, this rave up. And I'm sitting there thinking, I didn't know you could do that. This is not how the song is supposed to go. I love it. And so I started thinking, you know, looking into what else, what other covers are there like this that take a song and totally change it. And then from there it turned into um, a blog that's been going for 10 years now. And uh, now the book. So, okay, you you hear this cover, you're like, oh, this is cool. I need to explore this. Then what what takes you from that to like, it's time to start a blog? There was no light bulb moment on that. What takes me from there to there is basically boredom. At the time, there were this was this sort of MP3 blog era where it was just a free for all of various you know blogspot domains, and there were actually I did not invent the covers blog. There were a handful already that I read and followed and enjoyed, and I said, well, you know, I'm just kind of it was a downturn in college. I didn't have that many classes. I said, well, I'll do this in my free time, and I, that's what I did for three or four years at once every week or two i'd post a few mp3s with a write-up but i never tried to make it a thing but what happened which sort of surprised me is that it gathered a following without me actually doing anything i noticed that people were commenting and reading it and emailing me and so then after i graduated college i said well maybe i should actually first of all move it off of an ugly blog spot and make it like a real website and that's uh that's how it sort of grew Let's 
So what part in your blog curating process did the book become, uh, uh, like, get on the table? So the book actually came out of a couple articles I wrote for the blog. A couple years ago, I had started um, a full-time job as a music publicist working with bands and singers, and it was it was very time-consuming. And I noticed I had other, other writers and editors there, including yourself, but I myself was mostly just sort of in a managerial role. I wasn't having enough time to write anything, and I... That's not why I started the blog, to, you know, sort of check on deadlines. I wanted to write about music. So I decided, well, I'm, I'm too busy to do, a, you know, a post every day personally like I used to. So what I'm going to do is instead I'll work for a couple months on these long-form articles, one or two. And so I worked for three months on this article about Jimi Hendrix's cover of All in the Watchtower. And I interviewed his ex-girlfriend and his old publicist and, you know, various sort of people who are still around. Um, and I post this three or four thousand word piece on cover me by far the longest thing we'd run and i sort of thought of it as a fun for me but that wasn't really our bread and butter something that long and text heavy we like posting a bunch of videos so i was very surprised when it pretty quickly became our most popular article ever tons of comments and shares and people emailing and i said well that's interesting so then i did a second one on patty smith doing gloria and that was almost as popular. And at that point, I sort of started to think, well, maybe there's a book here. For years, people had said you should write a book about cover songs. And I had said, well, that's too vague. What's a, I mean, would you write a book about original songs? That, I, well, what does that mean, write a book about cover songs? There are too many cover songs. But then I thought, well, what if I take 20 or so cover songs, just write about them, and then through that trace the history of the cover, which is what this book is. So there's going to be some obvious answers here, but I am curious what kind of what's the difference in process between curating a blog and and writing a book? Which do you feel like you gravitate towards, and 
And like, what what was the book journey like? Like, had the blog prepared you for it? Blog had not really prepared me for the book. The book world is just a totally different world in terms of deadlines, in terms of research, in terms of length, and in terms of the fact. One thing that's great about running a blog, and anyone who runs one knows this, is you write the thing, and you post it, and then it's up within five minutes for the world to see. A book, I wrote the book a year ago, I turned in the draft a year ago, and, you know, this is a you know dead tree media book, it takes that long for it to actually become a thing. So... That, so in a way, I still like the blog world a little bit better because there's a more immediate satisfaction. The book is lovely to hold in my hand, but it was a full year of me sort of twiddling my thumbs waiting for this thing to come out. And now it's here. And now it's here.
We got to talk about Weird Al. I think your reason for including Weird Al is pretty interesting. I think a lot of people will be surprised at that. Yeah, Weird Al is definitely one of the odder chapters in the book. But the idea, so what? So the thing I included of Weird Al is most people know him for his parodies, primarily. If you know more, maybe you know he writes original songs. And if you're a real super fan, you know what I wrote about in the book, which is these polka medleys he does. He does one per album. They're never the singles. They're never, you know, hits in that way. But he basically will take... 10 to 15 popular songs and sing the original lyrics over a polka beat, which I argue is the opposite of a parody, which is sort of why I included it. Whereas a parody, you're changing the words but keeping the music, and a a cover, you're changing the music but keeping the words. And, you know, I thought that was sort of an interesting parallel, like a cousin to the cover is the parody. And then it also, sort of inadvertently, he said, became um, a bit of a pioneering trend, these novelty medleys, for the YouTube era, now so many of the most watched covers of every year, so many of the ones that people post on Facebook and write about are, you know, the Game of Thrones theme played on five bagpipes, or the new Bruno Mars song played on a zither, and it's these crazy novelty cross-genre mashups, and, you know, Weird Al was doing those 30 years ago. One of my favorite stories in your book is the Pet Shop Boys, always on my mind. They picked it as an Elvis tribute because it was the first Elvis song their manager played them and they didn't want to listen to anymore. They hated Elvis. The Pet Shop Boys hated Elvis. They are an exception in so many ways. Uh, Yeah, I'm talking about how it helps to love the song, but the Pet Shop Boys did not like the song. It was a truly cynical thing. They were in the beginning of their career and they were invited to perform in this Elvis televised tribute show. So, you know, they wanted to do it for business reasons, but they didn't like Elvis. So, as you said, they play the first song. They say, fine, whatever, we're going to do this. Always on my mind. But we don't like Elvis. So that's, ironically, what made it so good is they said, we're going to throw away basically everything except for the words and make it a Pet Shop Boys song, not an Elvis song. of you every step of the way
Today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle tears a hole the old familiar sting try to kill it all away but I remember everything what have I become my sweetest friend everyone I know goes away in the And you could have it all My empire of dirt I will let you down I will make you hurt I think the future of the cover is stronger than it's been for the past 30 years. There was a real stigma for a while of if you didn't write your own songs, you know, that was a real knock against you. Um, and now the cover, as you mentioned YouTube, so many, every band you can think of, including the most credible bands, are covering songs left and right. They're doing them live, they're doing them in studio sessions, they're radio, on albums sometimes, B-sides a lot. So it's becoming more and more acceptable to cover someone else's song. That said, it's... The cover has not shifted back in the sense that the, you know, singles are now often cover songs. It's still, there's a little bit of lingering stigma, which part of the book is me trying to defend against, of, oh, you didn't write that song that's on the radio? That makes you, you know, less of an artist, which I disagree with. So is, does that kind of speak to why Adele, for instance, is included here with Make You Feel My Love? Just kind of showing that modern artists still do it and can have, like, large success with it? Yes, she's the final chapter, and I thought she was perfect to close with because she's someone who writes her own songs, and I mean, you know, arguably the biggest artist of the last five or ten years, certainly by record sales. 
But this Make You Feel My Love, which was on her first album, every other song on that album she wrote, and it was all about a specific breakup and her feelings around it. She records the whole album, needs one more song. She comes across this Bob Dylan song that basically her manager plays for her, and she has a great quote where she says, This was the song I was trying to write for all my other songs. He wrote it better than I did. And so that's why she ends up covering Make You Feel My Love. So what what do you think is next for kind of the Cover Me name? You've got uh, 10 years of a blog. You've got a book. Uh, do you sustain both? Do you think another book's on the horizon or a new project still? In the short term, what's next for Cover Me is uh, we've got, this is our 10-year anniversary. And um, at the end of October, we are releasing a special free compilation on the website of, cover so- of covers of famous covers, including a few in the book. like So covers of Respect and covers of Watchtower that we've commissioned by various musician friends of the site. And then we have, of course, our annual year-end best you know, of 2017 list, which takes quite a bit of work. Beyond that, I'd love to do another book. The thing is, I pretty early on decided I'm going to only pick... 20 or so songs rather than picking 100 or 200 which you could there are that many great covers and writing you know a wikipedia entry three paragraphs about each one which means there are a whole lot of great and important and interesting covers that did not make it into this book so certainly room for a round two been listening to Blank Cassette, a proud member of the Nerdalogs family of podcasts. Blank Cassette is co-produced by Eric Arnault and Ian Williams. Special acknowledgement to honorary granddaddy producer Gary Lucy. All the music you just heard has been presented for critical and historical purposes only. If you want to hear complete versions of the songs, check out our Spotify playlist for each episode or buy the songs through your favorite music retailer. Supporting the arts is the best. If you'd like to hear bonus material that didn't make the final edit of the episode, head on over to patreon.com slash nerdalogs. Your patronage supports the existence of this show and others that we work really hard on. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. Oh, I do have one final question for you. Uh, Of all the people who've ever written for Cover Me, who is your favorite? You are. Whoa, that didn't take any any twisting. Wow, weird.